0: May I invite you to open your New Testament with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll want to have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 before you. As we think about continuing to grow in faith, this spring we put the spotlight on our faith, growing in faith. And one of the things that we've noted is that in the Bible, faith is not just something that we hope is true. It's not just some kind of desire that we have for something that we hope kind of works out, but that in fact, faith in Scripture is based upon reasonable evidence. And this spring, we have looked into the evidence and put our faith in the fact that there is a God, that God exists We've looked at the evidence and seen that the Bible is the Word of God. There's a reason to believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that His death upon the cross actually happened, and that He was truly raised from the dead. And today we deepen our faith in the return of the Lord Jesus. Now, I will admit there is something different about putting our faith in the return of Jesus than these others. All of these others are in the past. We have scientific and historical evidence, archaeological evidence, that all of these things exist. God exists. Look at creation. Look at the Word of God. It has been fulfilled. It's been uh, validated by historical evidence. We looked at the cross of Jesus and seen that it was not just something that People who believed in him thought happened, but even unbelievers recorded that it happened. And that the resurrection of Jesus, in fact, is the most verifiable historical event that has ever happened in the history of the world. And so we have confidence to believe in these things. However, the return of Jesus is something in the future. We can't go to some scientific evidence or some archaeological dig and see that Jesus is going to return. But I'm going to suggest to you that if God exists and the Bible has been verified to be the word of God and that Jesus is the son of God who died upon the cross and who raised from the dead never to die again, we can have tremendous faith that Jesus is going to come back. And that is an important teaching of the New Testament. So I invite you this morning... To look at. Oops, we got our wrong one up there, brother. I'm sorry. Maybe we sent the wrong one because we're not going to talk about the resurrection today. We're going to talk about his return. So if you'll have your Bible open, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 13 together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice, we have faith in the historical evidence of Jesus' death and resurrection. Therefore, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord. You see, it's rooted in what? We believe the Bible is God's word. That that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, that you, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, that that day should be a surprise to you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night or of the darkness. And so let us not sleep as others do, but let us... Keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, We might live with him, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We have got a wonderful guy back there on the computer who's got it pulled up for us to think about the return of Jesus. And notice that in this text, it tells us that the return of Jesus is something that was significant to believers. Uh, Paul had only been in this city, Thessalonica, for a few weeks. And he was chased out of town because of persecution. But he says, after only being there for a few weeks, they had already known about the return of Jesus. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, I don't need to write anything to you about the return of Jesus because you already know it's going to happen. In other words... To be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus, is to know that Jesus is going to return. In fact, it is so important to the biblical story that at the very beginning of the book of Acts, the story of the church, the first thing we learn about is that the risen Lord is then ascended into heaven and the angels say to the disciples that you will see him return in the same way that you have seen him go. And that's why nearly every New Testament document talks about the return of Jesus. It was an early and important teaching in the church. It's found in almost every New Testament letter. Let me read you a few. Paul wrote this. We wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter wrote, fix your hope completely upon the grace that is to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer said this, Jesus will appear a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The return of Jesus is an an essential and important aspect of our faith. In fact, in the New Testament, four different words are used to describe the return of Jesus. It is sometimes called his appearing, which emphasizes the fact that it is going to be something that's real, that's visible. It is sometimes called his revelation, that he is going to be revealed, again, emphasizing its reality and its visual aspect. It is also called his coming, Jesus' coming again. And this is a word that was used to describe what was happening when a king was coming to his people. He was coming to his people. And there's also a phrase used to describe his second coming, and that is, it will be the day of the Lord. And among all of those... It is used over 50 times in the New Testament. There are over 75 different texts in the New Testament about the return of Jesus Christ. And when you think about the reality of that, it makes you reflect upon your own life and and say to yourself, do I think about the return of Jesus as much as the early believers did? Do I know as much about the return of Jesus? And do I talk about the return of Jesus as much as the early believers did? Because it was a significant teaching to them. But also, Paul points out the world's relationship with with regard to the return of Jesus in this text. And he says when it comes to the world, while it may be significant to us, it's a matter of indifference to the world. In fact, he says that the world is unaware of his return, that it is going to be a surprise to most people in the world, like a thief coming in the middle of the night. As a result, most people are going to be unprepared for Jesus' return. Their lives, therefore, are going to be characterized by what Paul calls as darkness, Darkness is here not just about the idea of being unaware of something, but a lifestyle that is different from the one who is going to come. And so it speaks of darkness not only in understanding, but in lifestyle. In fact, in the New Testament, there are three things that the New Testament teaches that are going to be in existence in our world when Jesus comes back. These are going to be characteristics of the last days when Jesus returns. And one of those is that this world is going to experience a time of great falsehood. Paul writes, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. The world is going to be characterized by things that are error, that are false. In addition, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, that in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There is going to be a world characterized by wickedness. The world is going to assault our minds, what we believe. The world is going to assault our Wills what we want, and then many texts talking about the return of Jesus talk about the fact that the world will be a place in which our very lives are going to be in jeopardy, that the people of God will experience affliction, that there will be a fiery trial, that there will be a testing of the people of God. In other words, While we are anticipating the return of Jesus, and it's something that's significant to us because the world is ignorant of it, they will turn towards the people of God with falsehood and wickedness and persecution. Now, with all of that in mind, my friends, why do we have such a struggle loving this world and the things that are in this world? Why do we want to live like this dark world? And if we are indeed surrounded by people who are living in darkness and without understanding of Jesus' return, why aren't we wanting to tell them about it? The return of Jesus is something that God's people are highly anticipating. It is important to us. It's significant to us. But because it is not significant to the world, it is something that the world needs to hear about. And because they don't know about it, they're not living in regard to it. And so since it's so important, let's take just a moment this morning to think about what the New Testament teaches about the return of Jesus. First of all, the Apostle Paul says to us that the return of Jesus is going to be something very personal. He says in chapter 4, in verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Please get in your mind the return of Jesus is all about Jesus. You will see Jesus. You will see him in all of his perfection and glorification. You will see your God, your creator, and your savior. The return of Jesus is not just about this idea of going to some Hawaiian beach somewhere and sipping on some coffee or whatever drink you like and looking off into the distance. The return of Jesus is all about seeing Him. And that's why the angels in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 said, This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen Him go. The return of Jesus is about seeing Jesus. He's at center stage. But while He is at center stage, please notice that it is also a personal reunion, not only with Jesus but with the people of God. In chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, We will be caught up together with Him in the air, and we will always be with Him. We will always be with Him. You see, from the beginning of creation, God has wanted a people who knew the joys of fellowship with one another in His presence. And the thing about the return of Jesus is it's going to be intensely personal. Personal encounter with the Lord Jesus himself, which we have just read about, and we have loved through what he has recorded in scripture of what he has done for us and does for us, we will meet him, and we will be with the people of God who love him. Whenever I read this text, I think about the time that Jesus was walking near Cana, and there was, um, oh brother, Nain, the widow Nain, right? Good, thank you for the help. They knew what I was thinking. Hopefully, if not, correct me. So they were going to the. Uh, you can too. Um, they were going to. Jesus was walking down the road by a little town by called called Nain, and he encounters a funeral procession. Procession, and there was a widow. Who had her only son in the casket, taking him to his burial. And Jesus stopped, saw her weeping, and out of compassion, he said to the son, Arise. And he came back to life. And then here's this wonderful statement it says, And he presented her, him, to his mother. He presented him to his mother. And I wonder if when the Lord Jesus returned, there's going to be a lot of wonderful little reunions like that. The people that are in Christ that we love, that we're going to be caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the air. Now, I want to say to us, if the Lord Jesus returned is going to be so personal, then why don't we love Jesus today? And if it's going to be so personal, why don't we love the people of God today? Because we're going to spend eternity with them and with him. And those who love the Lord and they love his people, to them the return of Jesus is going to be a delight. But secondly, notice that Paul says that the return of Jesus is going to also be visible. He will be revealed from heaven, the text says. Using that word revealed, made visible, made evident. In fact, it's a loud event. Did you notice that? There's a cry, there is a voice of an archangel, and there is a trumpet of God. For believers, it's going to be like the announcement of the coming of their king. For unbelievers, that loud noise is going to be like the battle cry and the battle trumpet. But the point is is that Jesus' return will not happen in secret it will not be overlooked by history. It is a true and real event. Now, this needs to be said because in our culture, one of the dominant ideas about the return of Jesus is sometimes called premillennialism. That's a big, long word. I like to impress people with big, long words, I guess, in religion. But the idea is most prominent in churches today is the idea that Jesus is going to come back And there's going to be a secret rapture of the church where believers are going to be taken out of the world just in a moment. And there's going to be seven years then of conflict in the world. And then Jesus is going to come back in a visible way. But what Paul says here is that when the Lord Jesus comes back, it's not going to be any invisible or secret thing. But that is, in fact, something that is going to grab the attention of the world. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 5 that when he comes back, there is going to be a resurrection of the living, uh, there's going to be a resurrection, excuse me, of the righteous and the wicked. So there is going to be a resurrection of all of the dead, and there is going to be an awareness of all of the living. In addition, it's important to realize that the return of Jesus is something that's visible and, and something that is, uh, catches the attention of all because it helps us with those who believe that Jesus has already returned. When it comes to the return of Jesus, some people believe that that's a past event, that it actually happened when Jerusalem was destroyed back in A.D. 70, and that's when Jesus came and there is no other promise of his coming, that all of the promises of Jesus coming in the New Testament have to do with the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, Again, I would say that it is true that Jesus does come in judgment at certain times in world history. He has and he will. But there is something unique about this second coming of Jesus. It is visible and audible to all humanity, living and dead, when the elements themselves will be dissolved with fervent heat. There's something unique, inescapably clear about the Lord's second coming. In fact, the thing that's strange to me about the idea that Jesus is not coming again, he's already come at the destruction of Jerusalem, is number one, it leaves us with a lot of, without a lot of hope in our current time. But number two, if all of those 75 plus passages in the New Testament were only pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem, why didn't the early church record it? And here we have an event that actually happened during the days of biblical revelation, and it's not even recorded for us. It seems like if there are seventy-five promises saying that Jesus is going to come and he's going to only come in the destruction of Jerusalem, they certainly would have told us that he did and that Jerusalem was destroyed. The point is, is that Jesus' return is not going to happen in secret. It's not going to be overlooked by world history. It is, in fact, going to be something that happens suddenly, the Apostle Paul says. In chapter 5, in verse 2, he says, it's like a thief in the night. People are going to be so preoccupied with other things, dreaming in the darkness, if you will, that they're not even aware that Jesus is coming. It makes me think about uh, something that happened several years ago in a, on a Uh, a volcano in Washington state. It was a dormant volcano in Washington state. It was called Mount St. Helens. And it began to show signs that it was awakening. And so researchers went out there and were investigating it. And one time, one morning, a group of uh, researchers went there and they were climbing up the mountain in order to take some readings and they were radioing back to their home base when the ground began to rumble. And the only thing that came over the radio was, this is it. And that was the last thing they heard from them. As the ground rumbled, and they were overtaken by the explosion, and they died. When the Lord Jesus comes back, it's going to be something like that we know there's something going on. We know this world's not intended to last forever. We've heard that the Lord Jesus is coming back, and when He comes, it's just going to be, it's here. One of the most effective sermons I ever heard on the Lord's return was by John Kilgore. And at the end of it, he he did this. He said, you know, He could come back right now. He could come back right now. You see how sudden all that is? And every time he snapped his fingers, that reverberated through the building and it made you realize it can. The Apostle Paul said that the Lord Jesus is coming. It's going to be personal. It's going to be visible. It's going to come suddenly. And when He comes... He is going to be seen as triumphant. Did you notice in the text that Paul talks about people who are in darkness and people who are in light? People who are, uh, he says, going to have the wrath of God and people who are going to be saved. People who are asleep and people who are going to be awake. In other words, the return of Jesus is going to reveal this great separation between humanity that is on the basis of our faith in Him. Having faith in God. This is the reason we're talking about growing in faith this, this spring. How important that is, to deepen our faith in who God is. Because His return is going to reveal that He is triumphant over all humanity, over all creation. Let me show you that in 2 Thessalonians. It's just a page over, just flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. A swipe over on your phone if you're using that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writes that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, I'm in verse 8 now, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day. Don't miss it. That the God who created all things and the God who revealed His will to us in His word is going to come back and hold His creation accountable. Doesn't that make sense? that if you ignore the lord and you ignore the, what he taught if you don't know the lord creator and you don't ignore and you ignore the gospel that he delivered to you what do you expect before a God who created, who loved, and who did everything to save you, if you continue to reject Him, you've proven you don't want Him in your life, you don't want His presence. He will then take His presence from you. And the text says, It shall be an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. You think that the penalty in the garden was bad? That's nothing. Here, at least, After sin has entered this world and we're in this period of grace and mercy right now, while there is still sin, there still is mercy and grace. God allows His sun to shine and His rain to fall. Here we experience somewhat of His goodness. But when He comes again, there will be eternal punishment from everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Don't think you're going to get over it. It's the glory of His power It's his mighty angels. It's flaming fire. This is the power of God coming in judgment. He is triumphant over all of the arrogance and selfishness and sinfulness of man. He is triumphant over all of the wisdom of men. But may I say to us, my friends, he is also triumphant over our sins. And our forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. He purchased on the cross, dying for our sins, raised from the dead so that we could have life. And he shares that glory and those uh, gifts with us. He is triumphant over our sins and over our death. And so I read in verse 10 when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. See how important it is to grow in your faith? The status of your faith, by what you believe in God, by what you believe about His Word, about the cross and His resurrection. Because those are the kind of things... That Jesus is looking for when he returns again. Well, this list is not exhaustive of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. But I hope it's enough for you this morning to say, I believe Jesus is going to return. And if Jesus is going to return, my friends, there's a couple of things that ought to be true about us. First of all, we ought to live today with more joyful peace. We ought to live today with more joyful peace. Did you notice chapter 4 ends with what words? Encourage one another with these words. Chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 11, the same thing. Encourage one another with these words. In other words, when one of our dear family in Christ dies, and the death of this body has overtaken them, we are to remember these words. And these words say that Jesus is coming back. And he has conquered sin and he has conquered death and he's going to share that victory with us and we remember these words and we don't lose heart. You have a friend, a relative who's passed on and makes grief come into your mind to think about it? If they died in Christ, what Paul says is, is you can have encouragement. You can be comforted. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. You believe that he died. You believe that he rose. Then you believe that Jesus is coming again. Those are, they are, they're tied together. One of my favorite stories about this is about a, a Christian man who was in the hospital and he was about to die, and his friend came to talk to him. And he didn't know what to say to him. The man was sitting there in the hospital. He was clearly suffering and near death. And finally his friend said, uh, How are you doing? <laughs> to which the Christian believer said, I'm almost well. I'm almost well. When your body aches, and you become fearful of the end of this life, remember... Jesus is coming. You're almost well. And when this world shakes and its sin hurts you to the core and you see the news and you see the murders and the rapes and the things that people do to one another, please remember the Lord Jesus is coming again. We're almost well. Comfort one another with these words. But then also, As we think about our own sin, as we think about our own struggle with holiness, remember that Jesus is coming back. So be more determined to be holy. Be more determined. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter one and verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action and be sober minded, be spiritually alert, and put your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you'll be like obedient children. And you won't conform your passions to your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As he went on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, since all of these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people you ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In 1960, there was a restaurant in, in Decatur, Georgia. And in that restaurant, there were two signs in the window. One was a racist sign. It said, whites only. And next to it, there was a religious sign, and it said, Jesus is coming. And it's sad. The second one should have done away with the first one. And every other sin against man or God. And if we believe that Jesus is coming back, then we seek to purify ourselves just as he is pure. So my friends, today we've got great comfort when it comes to our concerns about suffering and death. Jesus is coming. It's almost, we're almost better. But when it comes to our own struggle with sin and righteousness, remember, Jesus is coming again. Let's be more serious about holiness. If you need to respond to the gospel, we'd love to ask you to do that today and be ready, be ready for the Lord's return because it could happen right now. Please come as we stand and sing.